I want to talk about an effective teaching tool. Um, I remember um, a youth group formal, uh, to explain what a youth group formal is, um, we decided that when I was, I don't know, I was sometime during high school, our, our youth group leader decided that, uh, that we were going to have a, a prom replacement. And so what we decided to do is uh, make it into a youth group event. And uh, we, we would go to uh, some place for the weekend. Uh, we'd leave Friday night and, and be there till Sunday morning. We'd have a youth group service uh, somewhere. It's typically Cape Cod because I grew up in Massachusetts and that was the closest thing. Uh, so we'd begin on Friday night and we would go to a seafood restaurant because you're on Cape Cod. That's what there is there. And, uh, uh, and, uh, which is actually not, uh, hello, get back up there. Not unlike the event that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and so I remember my senior year, uh, specifically, and, and then the whole, the whole weekend would be around the theme. And, and my, my senior year, I, uh, remember we had to take an egg, uh, and we poked a hole in one egg and you had to mix it up and get all the, the drain it out. And we had to take this egg. And so for a weekend, he said, uh, he, we're doing all these events and he said, you have to take this egg with you everywhere. Everywhere. So, so here we are, we're a bunch of, you know, dressed up, I mean, nice suits and everything. We go out to this nice seafood restaurant and, uh, and, and we all have an egg sitting on the table. And I wonder, you know, we're all like, I wonder what people are thinking as they walk by and see all these, you know, these, these high school kids and they're nice dressed up and they, everyone has an egg. Like, come bring your own food to a restaurant. Uh, we went biking the next day, uh, from, you can go from, it's about seven miles where we were at from, from the, from the harbor into to the outside where you're actually at the ocean where the lighthouses and everything are. Uh, and we had to go biking with an egg, right? Uh, and, and so we go through the whole weekend. Uh, and, and on Sunday morning, uh, the lesson, he tells us what we've been doing. And we had no idea what it was all about. Um, and so, so it kept us in suspense, like, what is going on? And he, he wraps us all up together. Uh, the, the lesson was on, on friendships and, and the, uh, the fragility of friendships and, 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 and the importance of, of maintaining friendships. I, I still remember that uh, 30 years ago uh, this year. So um, uh, it is quite an important teaching event. And in the lesson that we are going to, to go through today, uh, Jesus uses the same teaching tool. And so we're going to begin... Um, maybe we're going to begin on John chapter 6 and we're not going to read the whole of John chapter 6 because it's like 80 some verses or 70 some verses so we'll, we'll, we'll go through a, a good chunk of it so after this Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sixth, and Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy some bread so that these people can eat? And he said this to test him because he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't even be enough to, to get him a bite. And one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, this is, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? And so Jesus, we know the story, takes them near the sea and opens up the first seafood restaurant. All you can eat buffet. 
low overhead, five loaves, two fish. And they have no idea what he's doing. They just think he's being nice. What is he doing with this? They don't understand that Jesus is setting up a sermon. They're going to come back the next day and Jesus is going to tell them what he did. Next day, Jesus is going to teach them who he is. We've been talking about the Passover. And I know that, that you know, when, when we're done with holidays, we like to put them back in the box. We were kind of hoping to put Christmas in the box. Last night we had, uh, we had uh, our Pandora station on Christmas songs last night just because. Um, so, uh, it seemed like it was the appropriate thing to do in May. Or almost May. So, uh, but, but we like to put our holiday back in the box, but we're not quite done with the Passover. Uh, I know that was last week, Easter was last week, but we're not quite done with it. I'm going to turn to John chapter 6, verse 32-35, uh, because we are going to learn about the bread of life. Uh, actually, that's probably not going to fit on there, so... Um, I think I'm going to have to read that from from the scripture. Some of these texts are going to be too long to fit up there, so we'll actually have to read on pages. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 30 35. <clears throat> it says, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we can see and believe you? What work will you do? Now, the day before, he has just fed... 5,000 people. Now, if they counted people the way we talked about before, counting the exodus, if they were counting by men only, which Jews typically did, you're not talking about feeding 5,000 people. We're talking about feeding close to 25,000 people. We're talking about feeding a, a small stadium full of people, if they numbered that way. But it didn't. it's still 5,000 people. That's still amazing. Either way. So, so he's already performed something significant. What, what are you going to do that we can be impressed by you? What are you going to talk? How are you going to talk yesterday? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you bread from heaven. He gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so Jesus talked about the bread of life. Imagine, you know, kind of surprised. Imagine this happened tonight, and you woken up and there was white out there. You've been really shocked. But imagine for 40 years, um, Every day getting up and seeing white out there. Every day. And this was how there wasn't snow. This looked like snow. And that was bread. And it would melt away by the afternoon. And that was how you were fed every day. So, <clears throat> there's two symbols in here that we want to look at. And one is, of course, the manna. The manna is the obvious one. But I want to go back and look at something else. Uh, there's another symbol. In John chapter 6, verse 4, 
This is important. It says, now the Passover, they were getting ready for the Passover. The Feast of Jews was near. Now, why is that important? <clears throat> That's quite important because this serves as the backdrop for this sermon. It's important detail. This is not just a, 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 a minor detail that, you know, he just wants to let us know when it happened. But this is connected to the events. It wasn't just about manna, but it was about the Passover. Because we have to understand a little bit about bread and the bread of life. As an extension of the Passover, they had a different holiday. The Passover led right into a feast of unleavened bread. There was part, really part of the same thing. But they were considered separate feasts, but connected. So, uh, this involved removing all of their leaven from their house for seven days. Couldn't eat it, couldn't have it in the house. You think that's okay. But I want to talk about some holiday stress because we have holiday stress. But you don't know anything about holiday stress. You think you do. Getting rid of yeast in the house was not as simple as, you know, looking for the packets of Fleischmann's and, and throwing it out in the backyard. That was not how it did. Um, so, uh, this was how they made bread. Some of you know it as sourdough. And, and we, we, uh, we do it as a, uh, interesting, uh, you know, every once in a while. Oh, honey, go get, get some sourdough. And some of you get really creative and, and, and do it at home. Uh, and find out that it's kind of a lot of work. So then you just decide, no, if I want sourdough bread, I'll just go buy sourdough bread. Because that's a lot easier. And you're like, oh, I killed my sourdough starter and all this stuff, right? You have, some of you done that? We do it uh, every once in a while. Well, the problem is, is that sourdough bread for them was what they ate. And uh, if you've done sourdough bread, you know it's, it's quite a painstaking process. And if that's what you live on and you have a family, you have to have sourdough bread every day. You're making it every day. Well, sourdough bread, the process is that it's a living culture. And if you want it enough to make bread tomorrow, you have to start earlier. Actually, more than 20 minutes, just the, 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 the process of 24 hours isn't even enough, really. Because you have to get it up to the size to where you can make a full thing of sourdough bread. Imagine if you have family, you have to grow that thing. So... You need bread all the time. So the day after tomorrow, you're going to need to make some. So you're going to have to be, have some that's kind of on the way. And you're going to have some that's just starting out. And you're going to have to have this so that you can have bread next week. You have to think ahead. Now, they didn't have refrigerators where they could just kind of get this culture and keep this culture. So they had to have this in cool places, right? Uh, so, and not in a, you know, without refrigerators, it's, it's located out of the way. And so they would hide their things in various places and they'd kind of cover them up maybe with a cloth or whatever and they have they have a sourdough starter behind the couch they have a sourdough starter over in this corner they have a sourdough starter here and they you know and, and here's this woman she's pulling it and she's getting it ready for this okay this one's getting close so i got to make bread in the morning or make bread the night before whatever they're going to do it and, and there's all these things all over the place in the house that she's got to get rid of for Passover because if you go back to Exodus 12, where it talks about the Passover, that Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
follows right after. It's all in the same chapter. And at the end, it says that they don't get rid of all of it in the house. They're cut off from their people. And so, um, so we learned two things about bread. You don't realize it. Because to us, bread is a side dish. We're going to, uh, we're going to have some pasta today, some nice Sunday afternoon dinner or something. And uh, what do you want to go with that? I'm going to have a nice, uh, a nice bread, nice uh, Italian, uh, uh, Italian bread with that. And it's a side dish to us. But it wasn't a side dish to them. They might save up money and have some meat to go with their bread. Bread was the basis for existence for the most people. So when we read the bread of life, we don't understand what that means. Bread forms the majority of what they ate for the common person. If you're rich, no. But for the common person, you, you might get some pigeons and you would throw pigeons in water, maybe have some herbs with it, some dill or something like that and make a soup out of it. But there had to be bread. That's what filled you on a daily basis. They literally lived on bread of life. Life existed on bread. And this is what Jesus is teaching them. And it was their connection to God. Because at Passover, if they didn't get rid of all the leaven in the house, it says they were cut off from Israel, cut off from their family, cut off it was, it was connection to God and it was connection to God's people. Understand how important this was to them. This wasn't just, you know, the day after Thanksgiving we're having leftovers, kind of a holiday. This was really important part of Passover. They maintained their connection. So now we know a little bit about bread and what it represented to them. And Jesus is telling the story. Jesus is working this miracle. And Jesus is now going to explain what all of this means, what all He did. And that's what this whole chapter is about. Now they get the idea. This is what they're thinking as they said, many of them, He talked about, uh, Tim talked about, you know, or, or uh, excuse me, uh, uh, He talked about uh, sitting down and, and, and taking that one time Bruce, talk about that one moment of our week we're going to sit about and deliberately talk about and think about communion. How many people were sitting there on the side of the hill thinking about, did I get all of the leaven out of the house? I've only got like a day or two to get it all. How many people are sitting there and half listening to Jesus and they're really thinking about their plans for the week because if I don't do this, I'm going to get cut off from the nation of Israel. They've got other things on their mind. This is really important. Holiday stress. So we want to know the bread of life. That sounds like a weird statement. But we want to know. We want to get a relationship because Christ reveals Himself through this name, through this description. I am the bread of life. Well, we begin right where we left off. And that is that Christ is the basis of my life. He is not a side dish. As we said, bread was all they had to eat. Sometimes they would have more. The thing that gives perspective to my life is Christ. 
That's obvious. But I want to talk... Oh, let me back up here. John 6, 49-51. I want to read this. It says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Again, he repeats this idea that I am the reason for your existence. I'm all of it. I am the basis of your spiritual life. People became offended at this in this chapter because they didn't understand the next concept, one we've already looked at. That is that He is our connection to God. Um, people became offended. But that's cannibalism. You know, a lot of, that's not, that's not a old, just an old reaction. Throughout time, people have, people have said that that's gross. And, and, and rejected Christianity because of communion. Because of this idea. But it was not merely an abstract concept. Now Christ isn't saying that He becomes literal food. I want to read John 6, 53-59. That might be the one that's not up there. <clears throat> it says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is truly food, and my blood is truly drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not like your fathers ate the manna. They are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So, there we go. I want to just back up and read this in the King James. Just bear with me. Because there's something about Old English that is important. It says, Whoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feedeth on me, he also will live because of me. And I read that not to to sound profound or anything, but Old English had grammar. And, and they, they Old English was structured much like, like other languages are structured. We've taken those off and it makes things a, a little bit more obscure, but the, the ending S is a specific grammar ending. And it shows, it's, it's what's called a present active tense. In other words, it doesn't occur everywhere when you read an Old English uh, King James. It won't be in every verb. It only occurs where there is a continuing action. That's important because what that tells me is that we will only have a continual presence of God as we continually eat and drink 
of Christ. He requires it to be continual. For Him to be continually with us. You understand the importance of, of, of these people as they did this every year. As they kept their Passover every year. It was continual because they wanted a continual presence with Christ. And that's the basis of this entire sermon. Now, what was Jesus talking about? Because was Jesus talking about communion? This has been debated many times. Was Jesus talking about communion? It's been a debate because it's debatable. So we'll have the debate. Well, a couple things about that. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. I think it makes it quite unmistakable. He says, I speak to sensible people. I assume that the people reading this, he was saying, the Corinthians, were sensible people, could, could figure out what he was talking about. So judge for yourself. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or communion in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, therefore we take of the one bread. This is unmistakably built on John chapter 6. If that's not enough for you, I want to reference just a few things. So I want to compare this all to the Gospels. I want, I want to talk about the Gospels. Because we've read from John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each allocate three chapters to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You look at it, open up Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you turn to the last three chapters, and you'll find those events. And it starts there the night before. Three chapters each. John's Gospel starts in chapter 13. Starting the night before. He allocates eight chapters to this event. John goes into so far more detail about what is going on. And yet, John is so far more detailed in one event he omits that all the other three Include, and that is communion. Why, John? If John is so detailed, why does he miss this incredibly important event? Well, I think it's because he's already talked about it. We would need to understand Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote early. They talked about the things that Jesus did. They talked about the things that Jesus said. And John... Well, he does. He talks about who Jesus was. John goes back and he writes much later and, and he explains events. So he doesn't reiterate all of the events. Much like Matthew and Mark uh, talk about, uh, you know, they, they talk about uh, the importance of, of going and, and baptizing at the end. John is absent. He throws his, he refers to it in John chapter 3. He's already explained it at the very beginning, long before Jesus ever gave that command. He refers to a different event completely to explain the concept. And so long before Jesus gave communion, he was already establishing ideas. And John goes back to a sermon 
earlier, much earlier, and explains what is happening. That might not be enough for you. As I say, it's been argued that John 6 is not about communion. So let me give you one more evidence. And this is evidence from someone who wasn't a believer at all. It's a man by the name of Tacitus. Tacitus was a historian. Uh, he was connected to Nero, who killed Christians. And uh, he, would, he would put Christians on, on a pole, on a spike, in his gardens and light them on fire so he could have lit gardens. Ruthless, cruel, inhumane, vicious, disgusting person. And Tacitus approved of it because he said, those Christians are, they are, they deserve it because they have a ceremony in which they believe that they eat a man's body and drink his blood. Tacitus didn't understand it, of course. He didn't understand communion. But understand this, that Tacitus knew enough about Christianity that he knew what they were teaching about communion. Tacitus knew that the, the church connected John 6 to communion. And too frequently, because we want to avoid something, maybe we don't like the imagery or I don't know what it is we're trying to avoid. We have made too little of the Lord's Supper. We have turned this into a little Jesus snack. That's what it is. It's a Jesus snack. And uh, we know the Bible talks about remembering it. And do this in remembrance of me. And we turn it into a memorial meal where we think about it. And because of that, it's easy for us to think about the afternoon's menu, the sporting events, work on my house, gardening that needs to be done, groceries that need to be bought before Monday, and so on. Because we have reduced this to Jesus' snack. It is more than Jesus' snack. It's lost its sense of urgency. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, I'm the snack of Sunday morning. I am the bread of your existence. Unless you maintain this connection to me, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Let's continue, though, because there are other statements in the Scriptures that illustrate the urgency. He says, John chapter 6, verse 53, says, <clears throat> Truly Jesus said to them, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. We've talked about that one. So what about the next one? <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 11, talking about communion. He says, Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak, ill, and some have died. That's important. Now, I'm not saying if you don't do this and do it wrong, you're going to drop dead. At the same time, I would say that people lie to the Holy Spirit and drop dead. I don't see that happening. doesn't mean that it wasn't important. Jesus doesn't always do things. God doesn't do all, 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 all things the same way at all times. 
but it's clearly important. It was important to God. Christ died for this meal. That's what it represents. A man died for this event. <clears throat> Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer. Awe came on every soul. Awe. There was awe when they came together. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It is urgent. It was not just a part of their existence individually, but it was a part of their existence as a group. It was a part of their identity. Nothing. I'm going to say something and you'll want to challenge this. That's fine. Nothing done here is more important than this. Nothing that is a part of your faith is more important than this. I'm not saying other things aren't urgent. We try to reach lost souls. That's urgent. As the last or among the last words that Jesus said to people before he left. That's important. But if I gained the whole world, and the whole world came in here, but I lost my soul by not maintaining a connection to Christ, what have I gained? This is the most important thing. I do this and every week. We do a lot of important things. This is urgent. So I want to end with the wrong question. I give you a lot of challenge questions. This is the wrong question. Do I have to do this every week? Because that's where we want to take this debate. You mean every week I have to? No. Because that's the wrong question. Excuse me. I get to do this every week? That's the right question. I get to come to a table. Many of you reserved nice restaurants last week. Some of you went to McDonald's. Some of you went to really nice restaurants for Passover. Reserved nice tables. Christ says, I have RSVP'd a table like no other, and I am there every week. Christ RSVPs you. Come together and partake of a food like no other. What have I stood him up for? What do I stand up Christ for? What things get in the way? What things are more important? I want you to imagine this is just a illustration. The day of judgment. You're in line. I heard this. This is not original. I heard this uh, in Ukraine as a missionary. Uh, first year I was over there, and this has stuck with me. You're in line. <clears throat> You're standing behind some people, and odd people. There's a guy who's black from head to toe. He's standing, he's next in line. Behind him is a man who is holding his head. There's you. Third in line. First man comes up to, to Christ and he says, what happened to you? He says, well, we were meeting 
secretly. And uh, the army found us. And they burnt me alive for meeting to remember Christ. Okay? Next man, what's your story? He said, well, I lived in France. French Revolution was happening, but I happened to be a believer. They found us meeting secretly and they chopped off my head. And I walk up next. Where were you? Well, see, um, Celtics were in Milwaukee, I don't get to see the Celtics that much, and they were going to play the Bucks, and that was. I really don't want to be behind those two guys. I don't want to be there. That's going to be a tough act to follow. What things? Well, uh, it was a sunny day and. I had uh, bought some flowers, God, and, and they were a little dry, and we needed to get them in the ground. A lot of things that I could put on that list that do not have anything to do with my existence. And Christ says, I, I am the bread of life. You have a relationship. You have a connection So the question to ask yourself as we leave is, how alive do you wish to be? Because my connection to the bread of life determines that.